Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we get to connect with Peter Kavanaugh. Peter has a passion for helping people to improve relationships. He has worked to these ends as a teacher, school counselor, school chaplain, and pastor. He is passionate about trust in schools and a preemptive approach to welfare. Questions which are significant for Pete's work in schools are, how do you make a friend? How do you develop trust with someone over time to become trusted allies? How do you restore relationships when they are broken? Nine years ago, Peter came up with a tool to help schools to become more connected. Trust mapping is a way of measuring relationship trust in a cohort and targeting responses. It gives teachers metrics on trust within cohorts to preempt bullying and to be proactive in taking care of students who are being left out by their peers. Trust mapping is being used in five continents 21 campuses, and in over 100 classrooms. Welcome, Peter Kavanaugh. How are you? I'm great, Lily. Great to catch up with you. Yes, we are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'd love to. Let's do it. Let's do it. Peter, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership? And what you're doing now. Distinct memories as a child of having people follow me in the playground and wondering why they were. But it just sort of happened. I became a leader at school. I was voted in as the um, school captain. And when I was 16, I was invited to lead on youth camps. And I was actually given the role of being the program director. So very early, I was dealing with people and adults even and involved with leading youth in church and later went to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, I was appointed as a team leader. I've started businesses and I've even started a church where I was a pastor and learned a lot about leadership during those things. And what are you doing now, Peter? I teach at a school and I also have the business trust mapping. Oh, so we're going to talk about that because my thing is trust. So we'll unwrap that a little bit. But tell me, how would you describe your leadership style? So I've just recently done an interesting tool called How to Fascinate at howtofascinate.com. I did the free version and I came up with passionate and innovative were the two ideas. So passionate, that's really related to people and innovation. So new ideas and constantly coming up with new things. And that really resonated with me that this is how I do things. So whatever I'm doing, I'm looking for being a catalyst through passionate discourse and innovating, always innovating, whatever you're doing, trying to do it better. Those are two key words that come up a lot, passion and innovation. And I read a little bit about you and how you have a passion for helping people to improve relationships. Tell us a little bit about that. 
just the deep conviction that whatever we do is based around relationship. So I'm a Christian. So I believe that the whole universe is actually constructed around relationship or has its heart in relationship. But as I deal with people of different faiths and different backgrounds, still relationship is essential to everything. That's just essential to being human. So I've just come to this deep commitment that we need to plow energy into relationships and particularly into trust. I think that trust is one of the heartbeats of relationship. I came to this through being very involved with preventing bullying in schools. And what I found was that instead of focusing on bullying, that we would flip it and to focus on trust and to build trust. So let's talk a little bit about that. Why not focus on bullying? Why focus on trust? It's reasonable to focus on bullying, but when you focus on it as a whole cohort, when it becomes a vocabulary, it's actually quite a negative thing to be discussing. I saw surveys that were done amongst school students that were quite negative, and it's asking you to push into areas of your past about bullying that I didn't see really positive things come out of it. I'm a big fan of doing surveys that identify bullying, but maybe once a year, not often. But I wanted to have a tool that was more immediate so we developed a tool that happens in five minute survey less than a five minutes and happens once a term and looking at trust rather than at bullying let's dig a little deeper because typically when people are passionate about something it's because they've experienced a pivot in their life can you identify that or you want to share anything about that well that's interesting lily you should say that i've only become aware of this in the last maybe month I don't think I was ever bullied at all through my whole childhood, secondary school at all. I was a very popular, very strong personality. But when I had my two years in Vietnam, I experienced an incredibly difficult situation with my employees Mm -hmm. and it was entrapping. So I couldn't leave. I was in a distant land. I had a young family and I was not aided and I was even prevented from discussing anything with anybody in Australia just in the last month, I've realized that that actually was bullying. So I now have experienced it. And it was only after that that I became quite passionate about preventing bullying and building trust amongst relationships. Whatever a passion is, it has a string to something like that. We can turn our mess into a message. And this is what you've done. Love it. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Because there are a lot of messes I have to convert into messages. So Peter, Which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I have to go to a letter in the Bible in 1 Peter Mm -hmm. chapter 5 where it says, um, not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples. God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Mm -hmm. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This idea of not lording it over people is very powerful for this idea of servant leadership, but being an example. So you lead by being what you are asking people to be. And then this issue of pride and humility, I think that really is a strong issue with leadership because so often leadership brings pride with it that I'm in leadership, therefore I'm powerful, therefore I have control, therefore I can make you do what I wish but this quote reminds me that I need to be humble. And humble doesn't mean to be self-effacing. In fact, the most humble people are often very aware of their strengths and are able to conduct those well. But it means that they are not longing for the attention for themselves, but longing for the good of the people they lead. And that's not easy to do. No. And I guess as a leader myself, when it says, 
humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. I think that the idea of that we're not autonomous as leaders, that we're always under authority. We have employees, but there is a higher power that is leading us. And so we're mm-hmm. always under shepherds in right. the work. Yeah. So in the work, it's hard work to not become or not lord it over people when you have a position. Mm. I'm thinking of how often I've seen when people Mm. get a position and they're not really working on themselves, they can tend to be more of a boss than a leader. So what are some things that you suggest leaders do to guard against lording over? Because to me, when you say lording over, it's bullying. You can be a bully leader. Yeah. So you might get results, but Mm -hmm. you intimidate people on the way. Okay. So I'd say um, there's two axes and one axis is um, looking at your effectiveness and taking people where they need to go. And so you're thinking of what does this person need to become to be their best in this position? And then the second axis is how well do I know them? Now, I believe that your best leaders have both of those very strongly. Now, you can be a good leader if you've only had one of them, but to be a profound leader, you need to do both of those well. Mm-hmm. So I'd, my advice would be to deeply consider where you, the people you're leading are going and can you take them to that place? And if you can't, maybe there needs to be a change. And secondly, spend time just knowing them, um, know about them and know their strengths, know their weaknesses and care for them. So as a leader, Peter, how important is it to have a coach? That's interesting. Yeah, I've just been doing some work on that myself, actually. And I'm a musician. So often as we become adults, we don't have teachers and we just continue on our own way without someone helping us. But sports people all the way through their career have coaches. Mm -hmm. So like professionally, we're talking as teachers and as leaders who is coaching us. In fact, I've just started a program for coaching people in their relationships in schools. Yeah, but in terms of my own coaches, I have a whole list of people that I go to for various things. Business coaching, relational coaching, character coaching. You have several. Several people for very specific things. Right, right. And that's wise. I think that's really important. Now, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I'm inspired by innovative leaders, by smart leaders who are able to see behind things, particularly philosophical, that can understand the philosophy on why. It's the big why question. Strong character traits. I have one leader in mind who I've known since I was nine years old, and he has always shown sterling character the whole of his life, and I have no problem at all entrusting him with anything. So unswervingly honest is what inspires me. Unswervingly honest. And that makes sense because you value trust so much. Yeah. So tell us about your work with trust and schools. Okay. So coming from this idea of bullying, um, I was spending so much energy solving bullying issues, which I think are in every group of people. That's my understanding. It's generally that there's some power dynamic. And it was quite devastating to a community, uh, including parents, the kids obviously themselves, and also to the bully, them, bully who was involved. Even the principals and leaders of the school expending huge amounts of energy on this issue. And so I was just wonderful if we could get ahead of the game and actually prevent these things happening. Even if we could spend a bit of energy and save a couple of incidences per year, that would still be worth it. Mm-hmm. So I, I came up with a tool that you could be done in less than five minutes that wasn't onerous, that kids would quite enjoy doing, that would give very strong data for teachers to be able to be, and be preemptive to bullying and preemptive to social isolation. So that's where trust mapping came from. So how does it work? 
like let's say a school or a classroom wanted to implement this? In terms of the tool itself, it's a, a survey and then the um, reports are instantaneous to the teacher so they can see what relationships and then you see the trends over time. So we do it once a quarter. In terms of actually implementing it, the best thing to do is to try it but at no cost and just try it with one class because once you can see your own students involved, you understand the potential of the idea. And where can we get more information on this? Easiest is just trustmapping.com trustmapping.com so i did look at the website so the kids do a survey and then you collect the information the teacher disseminates it it's very sensitive information because it's actually students referring to other students in their cohort and so it's crowdsourced so even if one student is not taking it seriously they might you know give a false response but they can't change everybody else's point of view. So everybody else will refer to them. And so you get an understanding of how the class sees them. And that's a more important question. For a leader of a school, you want to see the overviews. So we have an X and Y. I love X and Ys. Where the Y is what the student says about the class. And the X is what the class says about the student. And if you plot that, then you get four quadrants. And the bottom left quadrant is a student who says they don't fit in and they're correct. And they're a student that you need to expend some energy to connect them and put things around them to take care of them, including just teachers being aware of that and connecting as quickly and as often as possible. And so the other quadrants are a student who thinks that they fit in, but they don't. Mm. And that's where we've found over time is where the bullying situations come from is those students. And so the way you respond to them is quite different to how you respond to your isolated. And then you have a third quadrant where they say that they don't fit in and they're wrong and that's often their self-esteem issues and unfortunately it's often young girls Mm. i'm wondering if we should do this for staff (laughs) everybody (laughs) always says that and then they take a few seconds and go oh no (laughs) no (laughs) because you'd have to have such a huge amount of trust in your administrators to do that well the students will go how the adults go that's very telling if the staff and the administration says, no, we can't do it. Yeah, more than happy to try it with staff. We just haven't at this stage. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top-level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. Can you tell us what's the best advice you've ever received? Don't find your meaning in what you do. Mm, That is really powerful. Why does that speak to you? I think that the temptation is always to find our meaning in what we do. I don't know if it's particularly a male attribute. No. I think all the way through my life, I've always been tempted to think that I am special and mean something important by what I do. And so Mm. therefore it creates a motivation to be a leader for the wrong reasons instead of to lead towards a vision. Thank you. Now, Peter, what does it mean to you to have a good team? And how would you build and sustain one? 
So trust. So yeah, for me, trust is the biggest thing about a team. Alignment is very important. So I like to deal with five rings. I draw five rings on a page, a bit like the Olympic rings. I talk to the people I lead about philosophical alignment. I ask them out of 10, do you think we're philosophically aligned? How would you rank our alignment? Then I talk about personal trust uh, out of 10. How do you, do you trust the organization, the, the people in the organization? Then the organizational trust, which I think is a little different to personal trust. So you, you might trust the people involved, but you don't trust that you're going to get paid on time. That's a mm-hmm. different issue. And so the organizational trust, things about money, things about protocols and procedures and that. Fourthly, I think the mission of the organization, how aligned are you with the mission? So if you have a very strong alignment, that's going to create a good team. If it's weak, it's difficult to work together. And my final ring on my circles is calling or your conviction. Mm. How called are you to be in this organization at this time or this situation at this time? What's your conviction? If you have a 10 out of 10 conviction, then the other things, you know, if you have a low philosophical, a low personal trust, a low organizational trust and a low mission, but you have an incredibly high conviction that you're in the right place at the right time, then that can override those other things. Then I just take that score and double it and that gives you a percentage and it's just this simple little way of saying, okay, which areas do we need to align ourselves better as a team? And so what if you have a really low score in trust? What's one of the first things you can do to start building that up? Well, that's interesting, Lily, because I'm fascinated with your story and encourage the listeners to listen to previous episodes which deal with trust. So I'd say that there needs to be a process. And the first thing that you need to do is to recognize your own part in it. And sometimes it's a very small part, but maybe it's that you've allowed something to be there. That, that might be the smallest thing. You did nothing, but you haven't called for help. That might be the smallest thing. And so to just recognize your part in it. Or maybe you've played a larger part and that you've actually contributed to the conflict or the lack of trust. The second one is a word that's out of favor, but I think it's powerful, is repent, which just means to turn around. I really love the Mumford & Sons song, Little Lion Man, it's, it drops the F-bomb, but it says, it was not your fault, it's mine. It was your heart on the line. I really mucked it up this time. And so to be able to say that to someone, when that happens, it wasn't your problem, it was my problem, and I did wrong by you, and I would ask your forgiveness about that. Uh, it's very powerful, and then I would encourage people to say, yes, I accept that, and I am willing to forgive you. I try to encourage people not to say, don't worry, it's okay, because mm-hmm. it, it normally does matter. And it normally is not okay. And someone needs to pay the cost of the mistake or the problem. Mm-hmm. But to be able to forgive is a gift. As far as forgiveness, that is yeah. certainly a gift. And it's healing. It brings healing to the forgiver, the person who's yes. forgiving as well. So. I, I, the third side of the process is restoration. Mm-hmm. So that if at all possible is to make up for what you did. So, And then fourthly is to reconcile. And that I think is when you start the relationship again. I've got it back to square one. Often people forget to do this. They're forgiven and and they're back to square one, but they forget that they need to now start from scratch and build that trust as if you were just meeting them for the first time. And I love that because it's just consistent with what you said at the beginning and what I read about you, that you have a passion for helping people improve relationships. And we're talking about relationships to build a good team here. And so thank you so much for that. Now, Peter, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life? I guess hearing you speak so openly, Lily, it encourages me. Um, I was diagnosed with a mood disorder, and this was only fairly recently in my life, 10 years ago. 
And that made a lot of sense. And so three times in my life, I have had breakdowns. The last one I've only just come out of six months ago. So I'm talking 18 months of extreme depression, almost debilitating. I was able to work, but I was not able to be myself. I was not able to relate to people. Extremely taxing time. And so that's happened three times in my life. And every time to be able to pick myself back up off the floor and try again, having experienced such disappointment has been just gut-wrenching. But it's happened. So I'd encourage anyone who's taken any hits in their life to be able to get back up is, is what matters. Um, mm. You said about leading yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the biggest thing for me is having a mood disorder is this idea of can I trust myself um, mm. if I know that my mood is under subjection. So whether I'm low or high, I have to be very careful and I need to be around good people that are going to respond well to me and give me good feedback about how I'm doing. Yeah. And the support is really important too. It's something that's a challenge because the idea that as a leader, you're self-contained and you're an island is so far away from my experience. For me to be a leader, I need to have a team of people around me, advising me, encouraging me for me to be at my optimum. I wrote down a couple of words, just how you occur to me in sharing this. One of the things that came up is how authentic and vulnerable you are. And I really appreciate that because it's courageous is what it is. And as leaders, we don't have to be on top of the world. We can't hit 100% all the time. And we need people. We need each other. There are times like this, and I'm sure our listeners can relate, where there can be breakdown, especially in education, where there's so much coming at us. And And Mm. oftentimes we don't take care of ourselves. We don't stop. Yeah. When I look at the three times that I've had these breakdowns, all three have come out of extremely exhausting periods of incredible amount of giving out of myself. Yeah. So to, to learn from that, that I cannot give at that rate and expect to continue leading long term. Right. And so self-leadership is really important. Yeah. And like John Maxwell says, the hardest person to lead will always be yourself. It's important to take care of ourselves. So thank you so much, Peter, for sharing that because we do need to hear that. Okay. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? That's easy. I'd say leading my daughters. So I have two daughters. One is 18. And she's just finished high school and she has just begun working for me with trust mapping. And I am amazed at her giftedness and her ability and the learning that she's learnt through school and how professional she is and creative. So I'd say I've played a part in that. I've led her in part of her um, upbringing. And my other daughter is 16. She's just started year 12 and they are both epic girls. Who, awesome. Yeah, I have no problem in saying that's my um, greatest achievement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. And what are their names? Grace and prudence. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Now, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? I think that's wonderful. In fact, I've always taken fascination with learning. I enjoy learning. So at the moment, I'm learning about startups and business because I'm involved with the Trust Mapping Project. And I'm really enjoying that, um, particularly the startup world. I think that's fascinating. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I already have learned. I'm reading material. I'm going, I know that. Um, I've done it through my experience in my life and I believe that already. So that's really affirming because I've always thought that I'm not that sort of business type of person. But now I'm learning that the best startups and the best business actually conduct themselves like the things that I value the most with trust and with integrity, with relationship. And so, yeah, I'm enjoying that. 
I'm also learning a Jimi Hendrix song on the guitar at the moment, which I'd like to record and put on my YouTube channel. Oh, wonderful. So you have a YouTube channel. You want to share that with us? Sure. It's called Cav in a Cave. So C-A-V in a Cave. I'm going to check that out. Enjoy. Yes. Now, Peter, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? I would see teachers who are able and are supported to build relationships. Now, that sounds like it's not a big deal, but I think it is. I think the more that teachers are expected to reach standards and so forth, that their own relational connection with students changes. Mm-hmm. And I also think that teachers should become experts at understanding the social relationships between students. It doesn't have to be using a tool like trust mapping, but it can be as simple as having an interview with a couple of students out of your class to ask them what is going on with the relational dynamics in the class and then responding to those. That's why I've done a tool that's got metrics is that people take metrics seriously. If you can quantify relationships, then people start to see, oh, we can improve relationships and we can see that they're improved through our interventions. So I'd be saying that schools would take relationships as a matter of course of their business, of why they exist. Well said. Thank you, Peter. So Peter, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well and why? There's a book that I was encouraged to read by my leader when I was in Vietnam. So this is a leader that ended up abusing me. But the book that he gave me to lead was phenomenal. In fact, the book gave me such encouragement to be able to actually survive under abusive leadership. The irony of that is um, really tangible. Um, So the book is by Gene Edwards Mm -hmm. and is called The Tale of Three Kings. And you can read it in one afternoon or in one sitting. And it is a simple retelling of a biblical story about three kings, which are King Saul, King David, and David's son Absalom, who was a usurper to the throne. And it is looking about the abusive leadership between Saul and David and how to know whether you are like a young David or a young Absalom who is seeking to usurp the throne. Yeah, so that's a very powerful book about leadership and how to lead. I read that book a long time ago and I loved it. I think I'm going to read it again. You're right. It is a great book and it has a lot of powerful takeaways for leaders. So thank you so much for that. Now, Peter, you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? This is good, Lily, because I've been doing it less and less. Mm-hmm. You've encouraged me to think, okay, I need to get back into doing it. So I walk daily in the morning, early morning. I try to exercise. I pray while I walk. I contemplate the day ahead and my responsibilities and what's most important. Why is it important for leaders to set their mind? I think it's very easy to fall into being influenced by all sorts of things, by culture, by other powerful personality types, and maybe your own laziness. And so we need to be able to say, no, I'm going to set my own mind aright and get my priorities correct again. And that needs to happen on a daily basis. Yeah. You're not a victim of the day. You're very intentional about what you want to accomplish. So that's important. Thank you so much for that. Now, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I'd say that it's not all dependent on you. When you move on, someone else will take the mantle. I'd say that you are a leader for one fraction of time. And so play your role, but don't carry the burden of the whole organization. 
I think to see yourself as a link in a chain is a very interesting thing. So I've started organizations, quite a few actually, <laughs> including I started a band when I was uh, very young. I've started a team when I was in Vietnam. I've started a business. I started a church. But one of the problems that come with being the founder of things is that you think that you are the be all and end all because mm -hmm. you have such a pivotal role in it, all that takes place. But the truth is that's not the case. So anything of value that I've been involved in has always been involved around teams of people and leadership teams. So for instance, the church that I started, I'm no longer the pastor, but I'm attending the church, which is quite fascinating. I'm actually shocked that the church continued because I believed that when I stepped down that the church would fold because I believed it was all to do with my strengths and my abilities, which was actually very stressful and was probably the reason why I had to step down, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, but the reality was that some good guys stepped up and did more than what was expected of them. And two years later, they've appointed someone to take over the role of heading that organization up. So I'm amazed at that. Very grateful. Well, um, it takes humility to do that too. Whether we stepped into humility or we were humbled. Yes, yep, that's true. <laughs> so Peter, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Just to finish, Lily, I'll just encourage your listeners to care most about the things that matter the most. So if you have a family, be as committed to exceptional leadership with your family as in your workplace. I think that those that can lead in all spheres of their life are the strongest leaders. That's great advice. Well, Peter, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. You're very welcome, Lily. It's a privilege and I really enjoy your podcast. Well, we've certainly enjoyed having you. Bye, Peter. See ya. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.